one go. Hi, Emily. Hi, Stevie. Can you hear that on the recording? No. This meeting is being recorded. That's what we hear before the recording (laughs) starts, but you guys don't hear movie magic. Which is actually good because it um, tells me that, because Stevie's the host, it tells me that this meeting it's just like a little thing pops up and it says this meeting is being recorded do you want to do you consent to that it doesn't say that but essentially right. that's what it's saying yeah and it gives you the option to leave which like you know good for you zoom i know getting consent mm-hmm. also we had a question not that long ago that was asking how we were recording we're still recording on zoom we're just in different rooms oh yeah i'm in the because, kitchen because the thing um that we need um, to record in the same room is like $300. And that's just a little too high for us. Yeah. So Venmo us. <laughs> yeah, unless. If you really want us to record in the same room, um, send us some change and we'll work on getting that fucking adapter thing. Do you want to do the question? Let's do the question. Do you want me to read it? Because you're doing. Yeah, please. So the question is. Um, I would love some insight on how to tackle self-sabotage habits slash feeling like failure is inevitable. For example, I have been struggling a lot academically in university because of mental health stuff and my recent ADHD diagnosis. It seems like every semester goes fine until it doesn't and I completely F it up at the last and worst possible moment. This sort of fumbling when the pressure to do well has impacted other parts of my life too. Maybe if you gals have tips to breaking negative habits, etc. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our advice will be more centered around um, just talking about like kind of how we combat our manifestations of imposter syndrome and our bad habits because neither of us are super educated in the um adhd discourse but i did ask one of my friends who has adhd and i've heard her struggle with the same thing um about her thoughts on this question and she said that well first she said that she she's like oh i i'm struggling with that too i don't know what the fuck to say (laughs) she was like yeah i have that same problem but then after she thought for a bit she called me back and she said that um the best thing that she can think of is finding a community or something like that online because that can be really validating um and then she recommended like accounts like adhd alien on instagram which we'll link um because she said essentially that just seeing other people going through the same things can be really helpful. And I know in, um, I've certainly found various online communities and just like seeing things that you're struggling with play out is definitely helpful. Even if just in feeling like you're not by yourself and you're not crazy. So. Yeah. I think that's, that was like one of the best pieces of advice. Um, I think because I often feel this way, um, I don't know why, but like specifically with this topic, like Mm -hmm. specifically to do with self-sabotage and imposter syndrome and like finding motivation and I guess like things that don't, that aren't necessarily talked about a lot because it's like, of course, that thing that's like, you know, people are only posting their best bits on social media. Right. So I think that it can feel like everyone kind of has their shit together and and once they start something, they finish it exactly the way that they started. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, it's like, yeah, that might be the case for some, but like for a lot of people, um, they're making mistakes and they're fucking up and 
they might start something and not be able to finish it or not be able to pick it back up. Um, but they're not posting about that. And so I think specifically, or they're not even talking about it maybe even because I think like, I think there is like some shame there that's just like applied um, to us in the way that we're socialized where it's like if you talk about something that you're doing and like you talk about how you're doing really well and then you don't manage to finish it or you don't manage to finish it well um, that is like for whatever reason I feel like a, a huge source of shame like that's been bred in our society so if you find a community where you can um, where you see you don't even have to engage in that community but if you find a community where you're seeing these realities where you're seeing that like you know shit happens and and um you're seeing people go through the similar thing things that you are um i think that that definitely helps a lot and seeing people go through like maybe the more unglamorous things that you yeah. are also similarly going through it, it can be like literally as simple as as this or as simple as losing motivation or mm -hmm. as simple as like not being able to finish a book. Like it can be like literally anything. It's just like seeing somebody else experience that and go through that and not be ashamed to post about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think can be really, really helpful as, as Absolutely. like as little as it sounds. Totally. And I think that I know for me, I've struggled a lot with like feeling a lot of shame around not finishing tasks because I mm -hmm. definitely am the type of person that will jump from thing to thing and like try to do a bunch of things. Um, and I used to be really upset when I was young because I remember the, the saying of like, it's better to be a master at something, at one thing than to be like mediocre at a bunch of things. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I'm mediocre at a bunch of things. Like I'm not <laughs> like picking something to master. That's um, such shit advice. It's shit. Well, then I got older and I realized that the notion of completion and like per and production and um that that shame that comes around lack of completion is fueling capitalism because you oh. feel like you need to produce something to to have any meaning sometimes if you start a book and all of a sudden you lose interest you've already gotten what you were meant to get from that book yeah. like if you draw half a picture you got out you were releasing some creative energy for a minute it was nice and therapeutic you have a really cool like thing now on that you can look at and like that's all you were meant to get from it not like things don't have value just in finishing them yeah i saw something the other day that was like um slow is faster than stagnant yeah and so it's it's it can be applied through this i just don't have the words it's like it's not the speed it's just like the it's the start journey. start yeah no, no no but it's not like <laughs> it's the the unit of measurement is wrong it's like yeah it's not it's not necessarily the speed but it's just like the act of choosing to do something and engaging with it at all is more progress than not starting at all mm -hmm. i guess would be yeah. the translation here um, well, I mean, and it's like, it's not the journey, it's not the destination, it's the journey that matters. It's cheesy, but it's true. It really, it really is true. And I think it's like looking at, we were just talking about this the other night for a very long time, but it's like, I think <laughs> what's more important, and I'm slowly coming to realize this. So like, you know, some of our wiser listeners are going to be like, duh, <laughs> but I'm slowly coming to realize that what you should focus on is not where you want to be, but what you want to get out of something. Yeah. So it's like that shifts the focus from, okay, what do I want the end goal to be? 
or where do I want to be in the end to, okay, like, what do I want to get out of this task right now? Mm-hmm. And like, what do I want to get out of this opportunity to travel? You know, um, I thought like a lot about that when we were driving cross country. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it like consciously, I don't think like while it was happening, but certainly now that it's after the fact, I'm definitely able to appreciate like, um, we really didn't have like an end destination really. And so that allowed me to shift my focus from, okay, like, let's get to the end. Let's get to the end. And instead just focus on like day by day, like what we wanted to do and where we wanted to stop and yeah, and, and not, shifting and- that, shifting that like um, level, level of importance, I guess. Yeah, and, like, eliminating the, um, like, expectation around what you think you should be getting out of something or when you think you should be completing something. My friend just posted um, a a story, a couple of stories the other day on our Instagram, basically talking about she has um, always, like, since she was in high school, never really had, like, an end goal in terms of like what she was going to choose to study in college to eventually get a career in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all throughout high school and all throughout college and now after college specifically, she has always just done a bunch of different jobs in a bunch of different fields, bunch of different skill levels. And she just sort of posted um, a little story time on Instagram the other day essentially saying like that she wouldn't have had it any other way and the people that she's met across all these different fields the skills that she's gained across all these different fields are completely immeasurable and that she because she doesn't have one interest she feels very fulfilled being able to sort of dip her toes into a bunch like a ton of different things across the board But at the same time that she did feel a lot of shame and she was the recipient of a lot of shaming for um for doing that for like not having one career goal and for doing a bunch of different things um and she just went on her instagram and she was just like you know what i'm here to say that if that's the position that you're in or if you're experiencing some any feelings of shame or any feelings of um of a failure or like you haven't accomplished anything i'm here to tell you that you're doing great and it's the truth mm-hmm. it's the truth it you abs- know? well it absolutely is and it's like i mean the fucking american dream is the biggest well it's fucking bullshit is what i'm trying to say and <laughs> that um it's like these people are conditioned to like have to throw away their whole lives to get a nine to five that they hate just so they can make enough money to spend it on two days of the week where they're too tired to actually go out and do anything and then they resent everybody who has the audacity to try to break from that because they're they are still stuck in it so then it's just it's it's insecurity about their fear in doing exactly what like your friend is doing Mm mm-hmm you know what totally. I mean? And I have yeah. a friend who does the same thing. She, um, she's actually the designer of our logo. She's a very cool gal. Um, and she, I think her degree is in political science. She was working at a plant nursery. She's worked as an usher. She's worked as, she makes knitwear. Um, and she's just like, does all sorts of different fucking things. And, and it's applying for writing MFAs. And it's like, that can be way more fulfilling 
Anyways, my friend makes really cool knitwear, and she has a little clothing company called Food for Moths, and she made Emily and I custom knitwear, and um, we'll post a picture of it and tag her little shop because you all should go get some custom knitwear from her. It's literally so good. It's really beautiful, and it's so unique, and um, it's like one of those things that you will have in your wardrobe, and you'll just feel like total fashionista yeah and nobody will have so individual yeah she made me a knit corset you guys aren't ready she made me this really cute cropped like kind of like 80s yeah it is kind of 80s like sweater vest thingy and i just stare at it all the time it's so pretty it has the prettiest sparkly buttons yeah anyways it's at food for moths on instagram yeah the point is is that i think I think like the best advice is just um, trying to make your life work for this reality mm-hmm. that you seem to experience over and over again, as opposed to trying to fix yourself um, because you're not broken. And the fact that this happens isn't a flaw. Yeah. And so I think that that's the best advice is like try to make subtle changes or, or maybe even just like, um, have a, like garner a better harness on accepting the fact that this is the way that you do best in life, or this is the way that like your life is meant to be. And this is the way that you're meant to experience certain things. Um, and then who knows, maybe that will change the outcome. And maybe that will change the point of issue that you're that you're struggling with. If this is a symptom of ADHD, and like this is something that like you're finding that once you find that community, like other people are struggling with that as well. It's the same exact thing. It's like trying to make your life work for this yeah, qual- yeah, yeah. this this um this reality of living with ADHD as opposed to trying to fix that part mm-hmm. of yourself because there's nothing wrong with that part of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um. And it's, like, if you're finding – it's, like, the notion of, like, trying to eliminate that shame within yourself around, like, not completing things or not being productive in a certain way is really important. But if you're needing to, like, just get through some day-to-day things that you're, like, no, I have Mm. to complete certain things, um, I mean, do you have any recommendations for, like, how you, like, get things done that you really don't want to get done or you're having trouble completing? Well – Here's the thing, which is kind of having to learn the hard way, but I always learn the same lesson. So maybe one day <laughs> I'll listen to it, but it's just that like things that I, things that I keep putting off or things that I, um, I I'm very good at self-sabotage. So whenever I'm experiencing that, um, whenever I do, uh, whenever I do end up approaching that thing or whenever I do manage to um, convince myself that I actually can do it. Um, I'm actually really good at it and I do a really good job or it ended up taking me five seconds and I should have just done it when I first had the urge to do it or that I needed to do it. Yeah. And I keep learning the same lesson over and over again and I can't seem to open up my ear canals okay. and listen. <laughs> but it's a process. Exactly. And um, it happens to the best of us. I have not met a single person who, um, 
thinks about something that they have to do or gets assigned something that they have to do and then does it immediately and and well i know and moves on with their life i don't know maybe (laughs) i'm crazy but i have not Um, met a single person who's been able who is able to do that i think everyone for the most part has some sort of like little little thing well and it's like maybe it's childish but i really find like um that it's effective for me to reward myself by saying like if i get this thing done then i'm gonna like give myself the luxury of doing something else that i that i had been not letting myself do because i felt like i wasn't deserving of it you know Mm -hmm. like oh i'm gonna if i do this thing that i've been putting off i'm gonna let myself sit down and watch an episode of something that i really want to watch because i never let myself do that or Mm -hmm. i'm going to whatever take a bath even though that should just be a part of my self-care yeah no but that's Frequently, really... i use like necessary self-care things as a reward <laughs> for doing other things and i'm like i should always be doing these things but... no 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 but that that's really good advice and i think too like just creating if you can like creating an environment where you're like the most comfortable when you're doing it yeah so like whether you know if we're talking about like little daily tasks like that might be listening to music that might be like cleaning mm. your space before you can actually sit down and do it like um whatever it might be and then i think like too something else that i found is helpful is um like when i'm at like a really really when i'm at a bad point um where i just can't seem to motivate myself or i can't seem to shake like imposter syndrome or i can't seem to shake um, any self-sabotage that I'm feeling or um, I'm really, really anxious around something that is going to like be a completion, some, something of completion. Whenever I'm, I'm experiencing moments like that, I always find like saying, well, first of all, making lists of what I need to do and like breaking it down like as much as I possibly can because the act of crossing things out is is really motivating and really satisfying um so I would say that really helped especially when I was in school like oh my oh my god for finals week I would always have like I would make out a list of everything that I had to do and then I would literally divide it by days so I would say like okay so tomorrow I want to start this and then like Wednesday I'll work on this and then something else that's due like maybe a day later and then by Thursday like on Thursday I'll finish this and I think that that really really helps because it puts into perspective like if if um if quantity is like an issue that you're having if that becomes overwhelming it puts into perspective like how much you have to do how much time it's going to take and like when you you know that you'll be done with it and like if you go over a day or if you finish early like great then you get to cross that off then um i used to do a really similar thing in in high school and college that helps yeah well i would make lists of everything that i had to do right i wouldn't do it by day but that's really smart but i would make a list of everything that i needed to do and then um for me like i have the hardest time starting like once Mm -hmm. like getting the ball rolling is what's really difficult for me and so i would put everything that i hadn't done on the list and then i would put everything that i that like was something i had to do but i've already done it or like really mm. little things that I know I'm going to do, like eat dinner or wake, like or like a paper yes. that I'd already written, and then I would put those on there and then cross them off. So then it was like, oh, look, I, I look, I have the capability of completing tasks. Look at these things I've already completed, and then it felt more manageable yeah. to 
take on the new things. I yeah, I do the exact same thing. I literally put brush my teeth sometimes, like just yeah, me too. And the thing too is like when I had trouble starting, I think splitting it up like that was helpful too because like then I could really start small. So like the first day, if all I could do was like ten minutes of something then like that was okay because yeah. I, I gave myself time to do it um, in, in the future, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that really, that was one thing that really, really helped. And then the other thing that really helped was, um, was just affirmations. I think mm-hmm. affirmations and communicating with any professors that I had um, that like, this was something that I struggled with or that, um, not being shy to like ask for more time or ask for adjustments or just asking for what you're needing because oh my god yeah um the worst that they're gonna say is no and, and most of the time if you a, ask they will say yes yeah and that's not a um that's not a that's not an easy way out that's a that's it doing exactly what we advise which is like making this making this part of yourself work for you like making living with this this thing that you have and like this thing that you struggle with work for your life and not letting it control you yeah like you you deserve to control it so that that's that's what i would say that's a really good point i mean that's definitely been my mentality in tackling anxi- like anxiety and like crippling panic attacks is is mm-hmm. getting some feeling like you have control over it is monumental Mm-hmm. And it was a process for me. Like it definitely took, it takes time sometimes and, and it can be harder totally. before it gets better. But once you just like a little bit feel like you start to get a hang of it and you will with perseverance, like you will, um, it feels so much more manageable. Yeah. I think like the first time someone ever told me that about something, it wasn't to do with like anxiety or anything. It was to do with um, with a health thing. But the first person, the first time someone told me like no like we what we want is like you to have control over this we we don't want this to be have control over you I was like wait that's an option for me yeah I was like wait that's possible Mm -hmm. and so yes it is possible and it's what you deserve and we'll put we'll link the um account adhd alien and i've seen my friend repost that account and they have a lot of um oh my god how fitting (laughs) You would think we ran it. Um, I know. It has a lot of insightful information. Or Fox Mulder. That I think is Maybe good. Maybe he does. Maybe. I mean, I think that that account is good to follow even if you don't have ADHD because it gives you a, yeah. like an insight into how to um, better support your friends who do. Totally. Fox Mulder. Yep. I mean, I've seen some really insightful posts um, about like Mulder and Scully but like them reading into some characteristics like that are unconsciously there is pretty cool meta I love when people do meta of them yeah especially Scully I know I agree it just makes me really I don't know why I really like when anyone for the most part like when someone who I think has a very receptive understanding of Scully writes meta about her it warms my heart. Oh yeah. Because I'm just like, yes. Yeah. Can you think of some of your favorite takes? Hmm. Usually the best meta that I find, because I think the format does well on is is on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. Um so I love 
uh, Olivia, who is like, oh, and then six sixes, I think. Yeah, we've posted her before. I love Scully's flannel. Great username. Great meta. <laughs> and I also love um, iconic Scully outfits. Oh, yeah. She, like, is – I think she has the biggest brain ever I've ever encountered. She just, like, she breaks down this show so well. And she just recently – um, posted something about Scully and it was like it was something like Scully's biggest issues like what's wrong with her <laughs> someone was like okay honestly what's wrong with Scully and so she literally went through three different no four different complexes that Dana Scully has and like it was so spot on it just my whole heart like looked like one of the emoji hearts it was just sparkling and pink it made me so happy i mean she read her to filth but it's true (laughs) she said she has her daddy issues complex Mm -hmm. she has a carer complex she has a cat the cat and a lion's mane complex and then she has a failure complex and those are the four things that she went through i don't know what the middle two are i mean i can figure out what a cat and a lion's mane complex is but what's a care complex they're short do you want me to read them yeah so the care complex is she said this woman offers her whole body up to molder to soothe him to warm him by his mother's hospital bed comfort him after reliving his sister's abduction touch and be near to him when he's unwell absolve him after he holds her at gunpoint nurture him after the death of his mother lying on her own deathbed she practically begs Mulder to take what's left once her body is no longer of use her reputation her dignity it may be that after abductions and violations allowing her body to be used by someone she loves is better than nothing it may be an unselfish guise for what she wants her whole and then she cites like her whole loneliness is a choice thing Mm-hmm. she convinces herself that some things are greater than contentment that giving without taking could be enough like that's fucking poetry right and it's about so my smart. favorite and it's about my favorite woman ever that's so cool um then the cat alliance main complex she said this one is just so funny she said i'm allowed to say this because i love her mood (laughs) and she said but my god she's so annoying truly in the most charming endearing of ways she's a know-it-all she's always wrong she thinks she's scary she's the size of a garden gnome she's rude she's cold she acts all puritan she jumps molder half naked five seconds after meeting him we shouldn't even mention her college years molder humors her but he's the only one who knows how tall she is without her heels oh I'm allowed to say this because I love her. That's my whole brand. Okay, we'll post this post. You want to get into the episode? Yes, please. So the episode is called Too Shy. And it's a fucking doozy. Okay? Fuck this episode. Like, honestly, if you struggle with any type of eating disorder or um, a general, like, anxiety around women being attacked, maybe just sit this one out definitely set this one out it's an it's a god-awful episode like this is on gender benders worse but this one's up there oh my god this one is definitely up there i remember when i watched it i only when i was watching the series i like refuse i made a note when i watched this episode i was like okay don't ever re-watch this episode ever again and here you are and here i am but i did it for a good i did it for a good cause yeah exactly 
And you want to know something that makes it even worse? What? Well, it makes it even worse, but it's a good, um, uh, it's a good, uh, it's good empirical evidence for our cause, which is that uh, we can thank Chris Carter for this episode being aired. Want to tell that story? I would love to tell that story, Stevie. So basically, Frank Spotnitz, a man, <laughs> uh, his character yet to be determined. <laughs> um he was he was having you know some second thoughts about this episode right he was like i don't know if this is appropriate like i feel like we kind of you know i don't know offensive i don't know if the story is offensive uh but apparently he changed his mind when series creator chris carter christopher christopher (laughs) carter uh convinced him the episode told a quote good story and was quote a fun old-fashioned sort of x-file i was reading the movie blog review of this and they said and i quote serial killer narratives often have difficulty navigating issues of gender it is very easy for a story about a man who preys on women to play into sexism or misogyny end quote but i completely disagree with that statement i actually think it's really fucking easy to play against the sexism and misogyny especially when you're writing a show like this where you have a lead character who is a female fbi agent like it's really not that hard to flip it on its head yeah it's really it's really not hard to but i feel like the quote was saying like what was saying what you're saying yeah it, it is really easy to play into that because that's all we see it's just fucking lazy but yes yeah you're right it's just like the way to avoid it, but it doesn't matter yeah. because it's not done. It's not done with the intention of being like, isn't it so horrible that serial killers target women a lot of the time, or isn't it horrible that there's so much violence against women in our culture? Yep. Like that's not the intention. No, so. and like the way to avoid uplifting the oppressor in a story like this is by giving primary agency to a member of the oppressed party. And so this is a story dealing with men preying on women. You avoid uplifting the predatory men by giving power to the female character or characters. And, like, they pretend that they do in the end. But, like, I, so much damage has been done by the end of the episode that it really doesn't fucking matter. The general issue I have with this episode and, like, just the concept, not even necessarily of the, like, take the murder aspect out of it, right? Like, take that level of violence out of it. The issue that I have with this episode is that is that this is like one change in the physicality of these women and it becomes a completely different story. Because if these women that they're that they're um that they're featuring were like girls next door, this would like this whole this whole situation would never happen. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the the level of violent like them the women experiencing violence, the women experiencing shame, like none of that would ever happen. It would be tantalizing and it would be flirty and it would mm-hmm. be sensual. But because these women aren't conventionally attractive, they, they're worthy of judgment and they're worthy of being killed brutally. Exactly. So like the title itself being too shy implies that, that they're too shy to meet men in real life. So because they're doing it on the internet, they take a massive risk and therefore aren't worthy of safe and comfortable and enjoyable interactions with clarity and consent. Mm-hmm. That's the whole episode. Yeah. It like implies blame. Yeah. Yep. 
Anyways, those are those are opening thoughts before yeah. we even started the episode. Before the even fucking episode begins. Get ready. So we open on a car in the dark. It's the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Um, I was placing bets that it's teenagers because I didn't remember what ep- this episode was. Um, and just this once, it's not teenagers ha- having sex. It is, however, a murderer and an innocent woman. So did we really win? This fucking freak man is talking. I don't even, I refuse to say his name because every time I typed it, it would like autocorrect to something else and I got sick of it. So I just call him the freak. I don't even know what his name is. Mr. Incento something. Like they, they don't say his first name until the very end. I don't even remember it. But this freak man is talking to this woman saying that he knew through their conversations that they just had to meet. Um, and she's really taken by that and says very self-deprecatingly that um, she hopes he's not too disappointed. Um, and this actress is mid-sized, and this whole scene implies that she is blown away that he still likes her despite her appearance. Um, also, why do I feel like this is like the f- this is? Do people not? Did people not go to on dates like to, in restaurants or like in bars in the nineties? Like, every single date that they've shown in this show has been in a fucking car. I know, in, in the most precarious location ever. Literally, every single one. The second thing that I noticed, first of all, I hate this. I hate this whole scenario. Oh, yeah. But the second thing that I noticed, like, before they even started talking, was that she already looks so scared. Yes. Like, because she is. She's scared that he's not going to like her because of her appearance. Like, she's scared that, like, she doesn't know about the situation. It's already based in fucking fear, and then they just make it worse. Which is so fucked, because it's like, that... they're they're trying to equate two very very different manifestations of fear right yes i hate i hate they're trying to equate like the fear that women have of being murdered by men with the fear of rejection and i talk about it later on but this episode really plays on later later on there's one specific part that really plays on on this one on this quote but this whole episode kind of gets very convoluted and really misinterprets and does a horrible job of of recognizing the importance and the reality of the Margaret Atwood quote where she said mm-hmm. that like men's biggest fears men's biggest fear is that women will laugh at them and women's biggest fear is that men will kill them. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fear that people have of rejection people have of rejection yeah the, the fear of women have of rejection is not is not equal to the fear that women have um of when being murdered they don't give men something that they want yeah like those two things are not the same no and they and yet they try to make them the same mm-hmm. and like these these actors i'm sure because they both acted the same way but these actors both play it out the same way they both act this fear in the same way and it's not the same Mm-mm. um the, so the woman's name is lauren she's laughing and saying that she can't believe that after three months of talking they met and it went so well and she seems like really genuinely happy which is just so fucked Mm-hmm. Um, so then her necklace breaks and the freak leans over to help her reclasp it. And as he leans over, we see he's got like a really scaly neck situation going on. Um, and then he kisses her and uh, very quickly she seems to be in pain. Um, she pulls away and her mouth is covered in a sort of slimy goo. Um, and she screams and he eats her face. It's like even even 
using the word like even describing how that scene happens and then being like oh yeah and then like she he pulls away and there's some slimy glue over her face it's like really that's what makes this an x-file that's what you want to include. I know, I know. It's the same thing that we've talked about before where it's like, this isn't an X-File. This is just men. Men do this. Like, you don't need to make some, like, crazy freakish monster that, like, eats only body fat. Like... Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's like, it's, it's, it's a... It's a plot rooted in reality with, like, a quirky little supernatural thing added to it. Yeah, exactly like look out he has like you know he's has knives that shoot out of his hands or like you know (laughs) people's fat it's like wait a second what it's like you would you don't really know if you're watching like a csi or law and order or an x-file yeah and that's a problem (laughs) it should be different and it's like I don't think you should even be telling these stories about, like, men attacking women if you're not going to acknowledge that it doesn't take a monster to do, to commit the atrocities that men do against women. It doesn't take a monster. It simply takes a man not getting his way. Exactly. Like you said earlier. Like, yep. But they're like, no, he must, like, need her body fat to survive. It's doing it out of survival. Like, there's no way someone would just do this. Like, yeah. Get real. Even the Grinch. <laughs> Get real. What was that tweet? It was like, oh, everyone wants kung fu fighting. Even the Grinch. <laughs> Get real. So funny. Anyways, um, they pan out and the car is shaking and fogging up like it would be if people were having sex in it. But instead, there's a woman being murdered inside. And so isn't that just like a fun little quirky parallel? It's such a quirky parallel. They almost did that parallel and never again, too. Did you know that? Did they? Yeah, they almost did that parallel where... Um, well, they did a little bit. Yeah, they almost did, but they were going to have... They were going to have Scully, like, screaming. Like, oh, the, right. But, but it was going to be sex. It was going to be in pleasure. Thank God they didn't for the... Moral reasons. For moral reasons. Yeah. Wish we could have switched these two out, you know. This podcast probably wouldn't exist if that was filmed. Because <laughs> Emily would have died. I wouldn't be here. Nope. So it's all for the greater good. Everything happens the way it's supposed to. We cut to a cop pulling up to the same car from the beginning, abandoned in a sort of junk lot. Fuck cops, right? But this actor's sexy as fuck. I told, when I was watching it, I told Stevie, I was like, you're going to find this cop so attractive. And you were right. I was right. Good. Um, it's really funny. Like for whatever reason, this episode, um, this it really made me take a step back and kind of consider this fact, which is just like seeing how big Chris Carter's name is on the screen during the opening credits is always funny to me. But it's especially funny to me in particularly bad episodes because it's just a symbol of the audacity of man like why would you own this (laughs) i think you want this to be a group effort buddy like you don't want this all on you but then it's like he thinks that he's rewriting the bible so like of course he wants his name front and center and giant 
but it's just really funny to me because it's like, no, you oh. thought this was good. This is really bad. Sure. The other thing that I noticed too is that um, this is off the Chris Carter topic, but um, the other issue that I noticed too is that he always meets women in cars. And so it's obviously not intentional because nothing of value ever is in the show, <laughs> but it's, um, that makes it even more uncomfortable to watch because it gives him the man, not only the physical power of having like control of, this, of a car, um, and therefore like having control of this woman's space or any woman in the episode of her space, but also the, like the, um, the power of suggestion because that he already has that over them. Mm -hmm. He already, ha he already has control over how they're thinking and, and, um, and has altered their ability to think rationally. And so it's like the power is completely in his hands and that's yeah. really terrifying, like mentally and physically. Um, I think the fact that that's an unconscious inclusion is equally, if not more so terrifying. Totally. Um, so, the cop, the hot, hot cop, knocks on the door and sees Lauren's dead body. That's it. Credits roll. So we cut back to the crime scene. Everybody's busy and bustling around. Um, the cop who greets Mulder and Scully, his name is Alan, um, is a Chris Carter knockoff, just like in his look. Mm -hmm. So I already know I'm going to hate him. And also Scully's the only woman um, who shows up at the crime scene. Yeah. Not, not even in the crowd of onlookers. There's not one woman. Jesus Christ. Um, and, it, and then I was like, and then obviously until also the victim. So I was thinking it would be interesting to see how many times the only woman on screen, the only women on screen are Scully and the victim. Yeah. I would be interested to know that. That's a very good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, Scully's got a blue suit on, which I'm sure you have some thoughts about. Um, I actually don't. I was so overwhelmed. I just <laughs> very fair. I just like watching her move when she feels in her power. <laughs> um, Mulder has some bad sunglasses. So then Mulder introduces Scully to Alan, and he disses her and um, takes him to the crime scene. Alan tells them that they found Lauren's purse and ID in the car, but they aren't sure it's her body because it's basically just like a slimy skeleton. Um, Mulder scoops some goo, not with his finger this time, um, actually with a tool. Uh, they discern that the goo was only on the victim's body before Mulder wanders off like a bored five-year-old. When we were wa when I was watching this, epi this episode, I paused and I just went on a rant about how annoying I think Mulder is to Stevie. It was very true. Because he is so annoying. Like, he's so annoying. Why does he walk away? Watch this scene and tell me that you are not annoyed by his energy. Just, like, like he makes everything so much work. Like, everybody has to be like, no, Mulder. Like, oh, I let me go get him. Like, what are you that's thinking? What I mean. Yeah, like, his brain is some sort of prized possession. It's, like, this. it's an all-powerful, like, all-knowing like rose under a candelabra <laughs> everyone has to beg to touch it literally and have access to it and then like scully ends up chasing him out of the crime scene and it looks so bad yeah she and i've said this before and very not very often i think the last time they gave off this energy it was like in season one 
but she, here she looks like his little sister that he's being forced to drag along while he runs errands. Yep. And they just look bad. It's not professional. It looks bad for both of them. Like, why? Why are we doing this? So Mulder tells Scully, after she chases him down, um, that a couple months ago he got a case from the Mississippi office about four women who disappeared in less than a month. Only one victim was found, but her body was too decomposed to perform an autopsy on similar to this one. Um, And then he instructs Scully to go test the goo while he finds out if Lauren was a lonely heart because each of the four women who all had... uh, who all died had answered personal ads in the local papers. It's so funny to me in this scene because, like, I often think about how much better scenes would be if they just went a different way between Mulder and Scully. Because they were con- they were like conceptualized as equals, right? Mm-hmm. They don't treat each other like they're equals. It Absolutely looks not. that it looks that way because Mulder isn't being overtly what we're used to seeing in men right when it's a man and a woman in a room which is blatantly misogynistic and dismissive Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's equal no she's still taking orders she still doesn't have a desk she's his subordinate it it just means that it's a step up from not being taken seriously at all but like no fight for equality or like no liberation ever works that quickly like it's not just like oh yeah like they're equal because we say they are exactly it has to be in practice it's like you can acknowledge that um, it's a step up and still acknowledge that it's not where it should be. Pretending like they're equals or like praising them for being equals is damaging because it falls under the same narrative of how all men benefit from the, vi- the actions of violent men. Because all of a sudden, a man who deviates from the norm of violence and the norm of misogynistic men is, is praised as a king. Because he's treating a woman how he treats all other men. When really that's just equal. That's not... Like, the theme of this episode is just demand more. Literally. Because because a lot of the times, more is just equal. And everyone deserves that. You're exactly right. There's this video... Remember that video of Jake Tapper? Not Jake Tapper. Sorry. Different hot journalists on the brain. (laughs) Um, What's his name? Um, Jordan Klepper, mm. when he does, I don't know if we watched this one, but he goes to a Trump rally and he starts interviewing people and he like has a sheet and he like is like, you know, he's like, okay, fill in the blank or true and true or false or whatever. And he does one to this old woman and he's like, he's like, why? Basically, they're talking about gay marriage and he's like, why don't you think that um, gay people should be able to get married? And she's like, well, I just don't think that it's fair. And she's like, she's an idiot, but she's like, you know, marriage is, it's just, you know, why, why should they get that? And he's like, so when you say it's, when you say, um, or no, no, she says they just want more. Like, why do they want more? And um, Jordan Klepper says, so when you say more, do you mean equal? And she's, and she's like, yeah. And he's like, and that's just too much. (laughs) <laughs> but it's true like it's so it's you'll you'd be shocked by how many people think that demanding more or asking for more or fighting i don't even want to say um say that i want to say demanding and fighting for more um isn't just equal that is literally actually superiority i know but it's like four white cis um straight men 
equal does mean power being taken away from them. So, of course, that feels unequal to them, but it's not. Well, yeah, and also that that fight for equality also would require them to acknowledge that things aren't equal, that someone is higher up. Yeah, exactly. And And that's uncomfortable for them. It's so hard when you have to acknowledge your privilege. It's so hard looking like Mulder. Ugh. Uh life's so difficult everybody wants to fuck me i get paid so much ever it's so hard going your whole life seeing only people who look like you in positions of power knowing that that's probably in your future too so life's hard life's hard for men like Mulder, you know yeah yeah i mean something's hard okay (laughs) i have to deflect somehow I have to. This is painful. Okay. So. Okay, bestie. So cut to somebody called Hugs chatting online saying, I'm not sure it's such a good idea we should meet. And we zoom out and it's being read by the murdering fucking freak from the beginning. He responds to her and asks what she's afraid of. And we cut back and we see a beautiful, again, mid-sized woman reading the message and responding with disappointment, rejection, the usual round of suspects. And just. Do do men really think that women's whole lives revolve around revolve around obtaining male approval? Yes. Yes. Yes, they do. I hate this whole scene because how about we just let women say no as a full sentence and then we listen? Literally. That would be nice. That would be ideal. Um, so the fucking freak plays nice guy and attempts to convince her to meet him before he can um but before he can see if she agrees, um somebody knocks on his door. So it's some woman bringing him a new key for the, it's not some woman, it's their landlord. She's bringing him a new key for the storage closets in their building. This gal's feeling really flirty and bold, and she's like, I know what you do, Mr. Encanto. With all your typing and packages from publishers, you're a novelist, right? So I guess she's a writer, so that really gets her going, and she wants him to read some poems of hers. Um, and he agrees to her, and um, he agrees to get her to leave, and she does. Sar, cut to the morgue. Um, lovely Miss Scully walks in in her scrubs. Alan, the asshole detective, is fucking shocked to see her and says, oh, it's you. I didn't realize you were observing the autopsy. And Scully, very unfazed and professional, goes, I'm not observing it. I'm performing it myself. And he goes, oh, you're a medical doctor? And she's like, you sound surprised. And he goes, I don't know. I guess maybe I am. And she's like, why? And <laughs> Which is bad bitch energy he's Uh, like because you're so sexy she's (laughs) like oh stop um alan women can be smart and sexy at the same time look at me i'm doing it right now (laughs) that's how the scene should have gone i know and Um, alan should have been me i agree it would have been much better so he goes, oh, it's nothing personal, Agent Scully. I'm just old-fashioned in certain regards. I believe women shouldn't be allowed to perform autopsies or read or write or breathe on their own volition. Back back in my day, you know, you would have been my property. Isn't that <laughs> I'm, weird? I'm not being sexist or anything. I'm just old-fashioned. I'm not being sexist. I'm just being honest. And, like, since that's where we're at, let me just say I wish you were my property. You know, in the good old days when women were men's property? He's like, I miss that. She's like, I miss what? that. I'm not being sexist. I'm just being honest. You would be so much more attractive if you smiled more. I'm not being sexist. I'm just being honest. 
Just being honest, man. I don't know. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, this dude says that he questions the wisdom of assigning certain female law enforcement officers to certain types of cases because, and I quote, well, whoever killed Lauren McElvey has a definite attitude towards women, right? So this has to be affecting your judgment. And Scully says, look, bro, I just want to solve this case. And he says, look, I'm not being sexist here. I'm just being honest. And she looks at him and just says, where would you like the autopsy report sent? Because she's a bad fucking bitch. And the writers high-fived and shook their dicks in the air and said, that's enough feminism for the rest of my life. The X-Files said sexism (laughs) is real. (laughs) They said, and we solved it right now by letting Scully do an autopsy. Yep. This whole scene is just stupid. I don't even need to say anything. <laughs> okay, I have I have a couple of things to say, okay? Okay, go. Topping it all off with how beautiful she looked. Right. And then the whole line of him being like, I question assigning women to cases about violent men directed at women. The thing that men like him fail to realize is that women's judgment is already affected by men, period. Mm-hmm. All men, always. So she's already operating on the same plane as he is because she's already aware of and has already experienced the cruelties and violence of men. So he acts as though this will cloud her judgment because she's coming face to face with a misogynist like for the first time or is inherently more bothered because she could be the victim, which like, like really usually I can be the victim. Yeah, he's, he just self-reported because he's implying that empathy is contingent on whether or not one is in danger of the same violence that the victim was the victim of. <laughs> really, she knows how misogyny manifests intimately. Mm-hmm. She experiences it every day, just to different extents. Yeah. And so she ultimately, more than any other man on this case, is aware of and understands exactly what men are capable of and the refusal to want to see yourself as a man in this killer impedes his judgment in a case like this because instead of solving the case he's trying to make this man a monster and make himself a hero and scully is just trying to solve the case exactly so the irony of this whole scene and this and moments like this in women's lives is is that it's not that her womanhood it's not it's not her womanhood that will affect her judgment or performance on this case it's the distrust of her partners that will you're absolutely correct okay fuck that let's talk about how hot she looks (laughs) um her lips look so immaculate here like i know i say this every episode but whoever liked her lips (laughs) and filled them in what do you want from me i will give you anything (laughs) i will literally give you anything there's a shot of her like kind of looking up like at this man because she's just like you think you're cute you know Mm -hmm. that look and it gives like the perfect just it's it's just the perfect um what do you call it angle to appreciate all of her features yeah loving this like little bronzed cheek look we're getting and a russet lip it's not quite red not quite brown, somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. like the most beautiful, like leaf, right? As it's turning from like summer to fall, you mm-hmm. know, D- 
don't laugh at me. I'm not laughing at you. And I said at the time that I wrote this, like all of her colors, her palette, her facial palette, she looks like the flowers that I just bought for myself, which are now dead. But at the time, they looked exactly, she looked exactly like the flowers that I just bought for myself. Emily gave me a really in-depth um, tutorial on how to arrange a flower bouquet for someone that you love. And honestly, one of the most informative experiences in my life. If you do, if you do, okay, here's the thing, right? If you do anything with love, it will turn out well. Aww. But specifically, things like that, of course it's going to turn out well. Because if you just think, I won't go through it, I won't go through it with you again. I won't go through all of you. I won't go through it with all of you. But you just think about what that person likes and how happy they're going to be when you present it to them. Talking about a bouquet of flowers. And if you see them in what you are committing an act of love to, then of course they're going to turn out great. So Scully starts her autopsy and the body is completely decomposed. It just looks like a skeleton in a pile of mud. Cut to um, Lauren's very intentionally fitting the patriarchal thin white cis beauty standard friend talking to Mulder about how she's um, Lauren, the one who died in the beginning, her friend. Um, She's talking to Mulder about how she's so shocked because the man that Lauren was talking to on the computer seems so nice. And Lauren and him had been talking in a chat room called big and beautiful because and i quote she had kind of a weight problem i want to point out that none of these women are actually plus-sized women that they're talking about these are all mid-sized women and also none of them have a quote-unquote weight problem bestie christopher literally you have the problem my bro i know chris carter didn't write the episode fuck off i know but he oversaw (laughs) all of it This is where I wrote about this episode being really triggering, and if you struggle at all with body image or an eating disorder, just skip. Skip ahead. Yep. Um, So they talk about how Too Shy, that was the man's username, didn't seem to care about her weight because it wasn't about sex. Because, you know, it's impossible for somebody to want to have sex with a mid- or plus-size person, right? Yeah. So, uh of course, he was into her. It was because he was above it being about sex. Yeah. So Lauren's friend talks about how Lauren used to read um, her his letters and that she actually saved copies of them, which, which is, is kind of weird. so out of left field. I yeah, she's know. like, oh yeah, I printed them. Mulder's like, okay. So she goes and okay. gets them for Mulder. Mulder calls Scully and says the killer is prowling the internet, so he's going to send out a localized online warning. It's nice to see them actually being proactive because, like, remember in Irresistible where they just, like, weren't doing things to protect the women? Yeah. They weren't even yes. trying to? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Scully asks Mulder to meet her at the coroner's office. She shows him a metacarpal bone from Lauren's hand and squishes it between two tongs with, like, no force, um, which is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> And she says that the goo is organic and similar to stomach acid, but almost twice as acidic. Um, and she also found traces of a digestive enzyme in it. Um, she also says that everything else seems normal, um, sans the strainly low amount of fatty tissue. And Mulder was like, oh, right, that might account for the weight discrepancy. And here I'm like, I'm clawing at my hair, right? Here we go. Yeah. He's like, because the coroner's report had Lauren's weight at 122, while her driver's license had her at 165. Okay. Okay. We've I've talked we've talked about 
the fucking issue of like them just throwing out weight numbers for actors that clearly do not coincide with the people playing the characters um and like i one i think you shouldn't include weight as a plot point unless it's a like a literal storyline is revolving around like a mid or plus size person's experience and gives them full agency in that exploration which this is not even close to doing right but two if you're fucking going to maybe get the actor's real weight you know at least be realistic that's just so much extra work though and like and don't imply that any number in this case 165 is indicative of a weight problem any weight can be a healthy weight depending on the person's body type literally any weight that shit is so triggering Mm -hmm. so cut to online user hugs we find out in the scene that her name is ellen um she's looking in the mirror and saying god i look awful and I just want to break every man's skull. Every man. Any God, of, all of them. <laughs> it was at this point that I realized and I said to Stevie, the writers of this show think women are either um, Jade Blued, Blued? <sighs> Jade Blue Afterglow, the um, sex worker from First Person Shooter. If you don't know who she is, look her up. Or this woman who we find out her name is Ellen saying, God, I look awful when she looks in the mirror. Like, yeah, they truly used all their feminist juice on Scully because most other women fall into some category of stereotypical women. Scully herself is still an archetype. Totally. But at least she's like multiple, you know, it would be, like for uh, against most, Chris Carter's will, like she became totally. multiple. Most other women, right? No, she's multiple because like he doesn't understand coherency and he doesn't stand and he doesn't understand consistency. Um, consistency. Yeah, like that's why she became multiple. One of the reasons. The other reason is because of what you said. But for most other women, it's like either you're a mother you're a whore who exists for the male gaze or you hate yourself yep that's it because if you're not existing for the male gaze how could you ever be happy that's what creates happiness is male (sighs) approval right beats me i don't know but like chris carter introduced this idea and he never gave us an answer so i'm still waiting yeah i don't know how to be happy without men's approval i haven't left my house ever since i was born because i'm waiting (laughs) for chris carter to tell me <laughs> so um ellen's <laughs> friend ellen's friend joe comes up behind her and says ellen my gal this wasn't a public service announcement it was an online warning issued by the fbi aimed specifically at women in cleveland and this bitch responds and is like give me some credit joe i happen to be a pretty good judge of character these fucking writers really really fucking underestimate how the majority of non-cis of the non-cis male experience is living in a perpetual state of fight or flight we pull strands of our goddamn hair out in the backseat of ubers we have pepper spray and knives on our keychains we make calves drop us off blocks away from our actual destination so no man knows where we're actually going and it's not dramatic it's warranted we don't give men the benefit of the fucking doubt because we can't and the idea that this woman fucking ellen has been so conditioned by the patriarchy to believe that she is worth absolutely nothing without the intention of a man and even further to believe that living in a fat body diminishes her worth even more is so sick and twisted and while it is accurate that the patriarchy cultivates this mode of thought this episode does nothing to negate 
or condemn that thought. So don't tell the story! Thank you. <laughs> that was so beautiful. It's just... That was so well put. I have nothing to add. You want to hear my note? <laughs> what? That's how I feel after all of your notes. Ellen really said, Joe, I'm willing to risk it all for some dick. <laughs> that too. Yeah. She, that's really what she said. But what you said is spot on. Like, I just have nothing to add. That is so perfect and you know how you always say everyone go back and listen to that everyone go back and listen to that again thanks fuck off we just beeped that whole scene exists because men think that women give other men this much of uh hello this much benefit of the doubt well it's kind of and it also reminds me of that scene with scully and like her friend oh my god her name was ellen too right (gasps) oh my god yeah her friend ellen in Whatever fucking we say we say oh my god yeah as if that was a coincidence as if it wasn't just like the men on this show not being able to come up with another woman's name (laughs) yeah but this scene reminds me of that where it's like this is not how two women speak to each other i know at all like no offense maybe this is wrong but if this happened and like you were like no i think i'm gonna go still i would literally lock the door bestie you'd be like no you stupid bitch I would not let you leave the house. I would no. be like, there is a man on the loose and he's killing women. He's killing women who are beautiful. So you're not going out. So you can't go out, bestie. You're too hot. Just gotta stay that's indoors. What would, that's what I would say. Well, it's true. But that's also what, it's like, imagine like I say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to this club. And you're like, oh, there was an FBI warning that there's like a murderer of girls with curly hair at that club that you're going at to at the club and i was like you think i don't know you think i'm not a good judge of character what you don't think that i can tell <laughs> if someone's gonna murder me I'd if know. someone's gonna murder me i would know well you <laughs> don't want me you just don't want me to be happy i think is it <laughs> literally do you want me to be safe or do you just not like me <laughs> So, cut to the fucking freakazoid standing outside a restaurant with flowers waiting for her. Joe got her so she doesn't show up, so he, like, drops the flowers in the mud. Seems unnecessary. Um, and then he goes to a sex worker. He picks a another mid-sized woman and kills her. I will not be going into the details of this disgusting scene. That was That was the part where I was like, this is the difference in how... This is the difference. This is the Margaret Atwood quote. Yes. Because it's like he experienced rejection. And so he went he ex- and murdered a woman. And murdered and murdered a woman. And um that's all I have to say. Yeah. So then a couple walking by interrupts the freak feeding on her body. So she's only partially gooed up this time. Um and he runs away. So cut to Scully looking at the body. Asshole Alan comes up and says that um, the sex worker's name was Holly and that she's worked in the area for a couple of years. He makes a fat phobic joke. I want to cry thinking about this actress cast to play this role, just trying to make her fucking way in the industry. And this is the shit that she gets. She gets to lay under a sheet covered in goo while people talk about her body. That's horrible. Like, I think... Fucking hey. David Duchovny sued Fox. Like, that is... She should have sued Fox. Hey. 
wasn't this dude making the jokes about a sex worker who was just murdered a jo- and calling her ugly because she wasn't a size zero, just saying he wasn't sexist? Mm. Hey, I think Why did you lie? Why did you lie? Why did you lie? Why did you lie? Why did you lie to me? You're so cute. That's how I feel. Why did you lie? Mm. Hey! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Scully like Chihuahua sitting, ready to bark. Scully sitting oh, yeah, Scully. In, the, in the goo looking up at him going mm. She's about to bark. Scully says that all of the, Holly's ha- air passageways are clogged with the same viscous material that was over the other victims' bodies. Mulder explains that he's narrowed down the killer to be hunting for women um, online. Alan doesn't fucking get this because he's like, well, this isn't online. And Mulder's like, just trust me. And they're like, okay. Okay, I just have a very quick, very quick note, okay? I love Scully's heels here. Okay. Are they any different than the heels that she always wears? I don't know. Who's to say? But I love them, okay? I swoon over like a little itty bitty heel moment and i think the reason i love them so much here specifically is because of her oversized trench coat Mm. and you know do you ever put something on and you're like okay this would look really cute like if i just always keep my hand on my bag yes or like this would always look cute if if i I just kept my hand in my pocket or like my jacket on or like this tucked in a certain way yeah yeah, but it's, like, not feasible. Like, you couldn't go out, you right. know, like, with your hand in your pocket and keep it in your pocket the whole time. Yes. This look, I think, would be top-notch if I was on her arm. Like, you know how a coat, an oversized coat, kind of, like, crunches up and, like, it would just look – I just feel like it would look very – I just think it would look very sexy. I, too, agree that her outfit would be improved if you were on her arm. You know what I mean, though? Yeah. It's one of those moments. I do. Where it's like, too bad this is impractical because it would make this look ten times better. Yep. You're correct. That's sad. I think you're your own Dana Scully. I think I am, but it would be great to... It would be great to be able to um, look at one all day. So they go through the letters that the freak wrote to Lauren McElvey, and Mulder points out that these aren't poems everyone has access to, and he's probably a college professor or some kind of academic. So while Mulder's going on about that, Scully points out that the killer should um, have an identifiable wound pattern because Holly scratched the shit out of him before she was killed. Good for her. Yeah. So cut to the freak cleaning his wound. It's on his hand. Um, He gets a package from the publishing company, it requires a signature, so he goes downstairs. While he's down there, he sees a little blind girl walking in, in the hall. Only the, in the X-Files. Mm-hmm. She's the daughter of a, the landlord writer neighbor who was flirting with him earlier. He Horn walks dog. by her. Yeah. Mrs. Horndog. <laughs> Mrs. Horndog. <laughs> I think I called her something similar later in my notes. I think I called her Madam Horny. <laughs> so um freak walks by the little girl and she says hello mr encanto because she's a smarty and her name Mm -hmm. is jesse and she's my favorite character yep 
Um, her mom, however, flirts up a fucking storm with this creep again, even though her daughter says that he creeps her out. Like, maybe take a few notes from your daughter's spot on intuition, horn dog. So, cut to the police department. Our hot agents are there working um, on their search for academics in the area. Mulder shows Scully the results from the DNA test of the skin they found under the victim's fingernails. Um, and he puts his hand on the back of her neck when he does this and, like, leads her outside. And it was hot. There's I did just like somehow, you know. Yeah, there's also a glorious profile shot of Scully, obviously, that <laughs> actually looks like a piece of hand painted art hanging in a museum somewhere of like a Roman goddess like reigning over her little naked male angels. <laughs> Mulder That's Scully. is her- Mulder is her little naked baby angel. Who's a squirting cherub now? Yeah! <laughs> How the turntables. Unless she still wants to be that, then she's allowed to be. Only if she wants it, though. Yeah. Um, so the test result says that the skin sample contains no oils or essential fatty acids. Um, side note, I love her hair here, like, so, so much. I really, This is my favorite hair era for Scully. I really love the color and it's like a kind of strawberry blonde and not super deep red and the cut is very it's like very 1940s starlet i'm a big fan it was at this moment that i realized we're getting back into the episodes where there are consistently some of my favorite still shots of my beloved wife Mm -hmm. and probably like since season one maybe Mm -hmm. like ones that i see and i'm like yes you know yeah And I don't really know what episodes they're from. I just know that they're like the shots. Mm -hmm. And I will lose it at some point. But we're all here for you when you do. I appreciate it. It's a safe space. We're all going to catch you when you fall. Right, listeners? Right. That was (laughs) nice. Thank you. Um, am Am I welcome to talk about her face for a second? Yeah, of course. Okay. Here is, I'm just going to say one thing, and that's how you know I was truly floored by her beauty, by, Uh if I can even fucking get it out, by her (laughs) beauty. I turned off the subtitles that I've had on for years, okay? I watch every show with subtitles. I do too. I turn them off. That's how you know I am fully enraptured by her beauty, because... My need to fully appreciate every square inch of her angelic face has become more important than my need to understand what they're saying. That's so beautiful. I also made a rule, which here we go. You'll appreciate the importance of this. I'm trying to be on my phone less, trying to be on social media less, right? Mm. I'm a new woman since I've deactivated Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I told Stevie, I told you. Every time I get the urge to go on social media, I'm going to pick up a book instead. I was doing that to better myself, but now I'm going to do it to get smarter and to learn better words so that I have the capacity to adequately describe um, Jillian Anderson's beauty. Oh. Because my current vocabulary is not cutting it. That's so sweet. Your love is so pure. <laughs> None are so shit. You get to experience my love, too. Yeah, I know, but it's not... You know what I mean. I know what you mean. I am very grateful to experience your love, though. Okay, to the 1% of men who listen to this podcast, 
be better. Okay. Please. Or else be I better. will come and beat you up. No, be better for Stevie specifically. Okay. <laughs> or else I will come and beat you up. I'm not even joking. I'm wearing a muscle t-shirt right now. Okay. Don't mess <laughs> with me. I don't mean to be like, oh, poor me. I'm straight. Your love is just beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) This is the last thing I will say, which will actually give you hope because this boy could very well be your age now. When I was on Tumblr a couple Mm -hmm. of, a a long time ago, like when I was first on Tumblr, Mm -hmm. um, there was this post that I used to reblog every single time I saw it because I was like, yeah, that is like, you know, 16-year-old me. I was like, yeah. Anyways, Mm -hmm. it was this girl posted um, a screenshot of something that her 15-year-old brother had written about a girl that he liked. Want to hear what he wrote? Yeah. The point of this is that this is how I feel about Dana Scully, and I eventually will supplement it with things that apply to her, but I think it applies to her pretty well. Okay, what is it? Maybe. Yes, maybe. Okay. So he said... She has the most, in- well, yeah. She has the most intriguing mossy green eyes. She has a scar on her hip, and she loves yellow. She has an old and worn notebook full of all the wonderful things she thinks, but never says. She has the worst laugh, but it's beautiful. And I fell hopelessly in love with her and didn't sleep for the next week. No fucking way. Yes. Let's track down that fifteen-year-old boy who now is probably of age, like mid twenties, maybe even. Yeah. Anybody knows him, send him my way. Because he'll so fall in love with you if he just is in your presence. Oh, that's sweet. Bitch, I swear to God. I know you hate when I say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see after spending a week with my mom where I got that from? Yes. That's where I fucking got it. Every time I say anything nice to her, she goes, you're so sweet. I was like, Cherie. I know. I've gotten better though, right? Yeah, except for I could beat you up. I, You couldn't beat Shuri up? She would beat me up. I'm not in love with Stevie's mom. I have a mass appreciation for MILFs, and Stevie's mother is... She's a MILF. One of them. And you know what? It's not fucking weird for me to call my mom a MILF, okay? I've seen too many viral Twitter posts about being like, don't call your friend's mom's MILFs. Yeah, you should. Acknowledge your fucking mother's hot power. Like, do it. Like, you why are be... you so ashamed about sex and sexuality that you can't acknowledge your, that your parents have sex? Hate to break it to you, your parents fucked. Probably a lot, okay? And but at what? least once, and because I, you're here. And you should hope that it was good for your mother. And you should hope that yeah. she continues to have good sexual experiences and be fulfilled and in her power. You are on one right now. <laughs> I'm, so- I'm so happy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> call your mama milf today <laughs> if you don't want to i will i'm like i'll do it <laughs> anyways so Mulder suggested the killer isn't killing from psychotic impulse but more a physical hunger theorizing that the killer needs this fatty tissue to survive one piece of evidence and Mulder solved the whole fucking thing i'm so Literally. engaged in the story wow so intrigued what will happen <laughs> I know, because Mulder just told me. I wonder if he's going to be right or not. I know. So they go back and forth about this for a minute, very flirtatiously. I like Scully's eyeliner. I wonder if I could pull that off. I came to conclude that I don't know that I can. You could. There's your answer. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. I'll try it, maybe. So Asshole Allen interrupts and says he has a list of 38 people. Who? Asshole Allen. 
Okay. <laughs> it's his name. Okay. The Chris Carter knockoff. Okay, right. You know, Asshole Allen. <laughs> so Asshole Allen interrupts and says that he has a list of 38 people and they'll split up their force to go investigate all those people. Scully says that she wants to brief the team before they go and he hesitates but agrees and his dick like shrivels a little at giving Also, hey, uh, maybe... Mr. I'm not a sexist. Look at Scully while you're talking about the case she's working on. I know. And I would say, and I would say leading at this point. Literally. Literally. Men be like, I'm not sexist, and then only address the man in the room. <laughs> Again, like this isn't feminist at fucking all. But I like seeing these nuanced interactions, and I wish that they were included in more than one episode and not included for the sole reason of offsetting the offensive nature of the entire storyline. Totally. Like they're like, oh, we're gonna like we're gonna really bag on women in this one. Like we'll like let Scully like confront this cop, right? Freaks in his apartment. He's looking at his new poetry book. He gets a message from Ellen, who's apologizing for standing him up, and she has to go out again. Joe left, and she's been left to her own self fucking destructive tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, women need women need women. What did I say? Yeah. Uh, they do a cool thing here where there's a knock at the freak's door and the door opens and we see Scully. So it's like, oh my god, she's there. And then, um, but actually, she's at a different house. And it's actually Alan who's at the freak's house. And like this whole thing, like who would have thought this is just like the fall, but like a light version? Yeah, because literally. it's two, it's two men. One is deemed a monster by society. One is less damagingly sexist or misogynistic. But still damaging. They're both yeah. men. They're both bad. Like, yeah. they're the same cancer to society. The difference is, is that the fall is aware of what they're doing. So it actually, like... It's conscious yeah. and therefore more impactful yes. and and more thoughtful. Well, because this yeah. is, like, them trying to make Alan sympathetic because he like, exactly. let scully brief the people and then he went and like and i, I don't give a fuck kill him what Bye. what a character development you know it's yeah. like uh, wow, he really came around then of course like we all predicted it's this man's it's a- asshole alan's refusal to accept the to accept the capability of men just like him to be violent that gets him killed yep you're correct so Mulder and Scully reconvene about how Alan hasn't checked in yet. And I just, I don't know. I feel like if you're investigating a serial killer, you wouldn't send lone agents to the houses that he very well might be at. And also, like, maybe you would just question him at the door or, like, ask him to come out in the hallway. I don't know that you would go into his apartment alone. No. Seems like, like not the protocol. Seems like a <laughs> ticket straight to dying. Two tickets to paradise. <laughs> So the fucking freak and Ellen are having dinner. She insists on paying because she's the one who should stood him up. Like, she literally pays for him before he murders her, but whatever. No, bestie. The person who pays is the person who asks. There you go. That's a fun tip. Mm. For all you feminist women out there who don't want men paying for your dates from a queer woman, whoever asks, pays. Who pays? Or you can split it. But, like, how hot to be like, no, I asked you. So, um, he catches Ellen looking at his wounded hand, and he tells her it's eczema, and she calms down. And this is basically just a series of Ellen actively ignoring all of her instincts, all the way up until he's in her house. Like, it's yeah. not like she doesn't know. She's not dumb. She's literally just choosing to ignore it. And this is, like, a deadly act of self-harm that the patriarchy has conditioned her to commit. Yep. 
it's just you're just seeing her self-harm over and over again until she nearly dies it's like every this is this could be like an instructional video for teaching women what not to do i know to protect themselves exactly so um cut to jesse's mom trying to get dick down once again someone get that woman a dildo literally that every single woman in this episode needs a vibrator or some kind of sex toy like and some solid girlfriends you don't need to depend on then you're good to fucking satisfy you you can do it yourself babe i shouldn't say that and some solid female friends yeah so um jesse's mom is trying to like push her poetry under his door but it won't fit so she gets her key out and then we assume she goes inside insides then we assume she goes inside um ellen and the freak pull up she's really nervous and tells um she's like nervous talking and rambles and tells him exactly where she lives um and he preys on all of her of her insecurities and it's really just like vile to witness yeah it's really really bad so he takes it and he does it and he does it in a way that's like very practiced and i know that he's a murderer but i'll say it again doesn't take a murderer to behave like this no this is men who don't men who don't want to murder women also act like this hate to break it to you but it's true and so he takes ellen's keys out of the ignition and tries don't do that mm -mm, and tries to get her that like such the chill that went through my body fighter my fight or flight kicked in yeah um, and he tries to get her upstairs, but stops pursuing it when he sees the shadow of um, Horny, Madam Horny, walking around his apartment. Why do all these women look visibly uncomfortable with this man in their cars? And yet, it's being played as she's nervous because she's inexperienced, not because she's getting bad fucking vibes and he's making her feel uncomfortable. You know what that is? It's that the men who wrote this have made women uncomfortable but think that they were just nervous and flirting with them. Totally. Which is what abusers do. This, the good thing about this episode is that there are a lot of lessons in it. I mean, who the fuck didn't already know? But Florence said something along the lines of like, if you're not feeling like you, if you're feeling like you have to make yourself comfortable with something, it's not for you. That's a good and that point. just applies. That just applies here. It's like these poor, the, these writers wrote these women as like them feeling like they, which of course wasn't intentional, yeah. but it's like, they're so strangled in a patriarchy that makes them feel like they have to be comfortable with things that are happening Mm -hmm. and they have to be comfortable with this level of abuse for men because this is just how men are Mm -hmm. and that's wrong you shouldn't if you're feeling if you're feeling like you have to force yourself to be comfortable with something it's not for you exactly because guess what doesn't matter how long it's been since you've been in this type of situation. You could have, you could never have been in this type of situation. The person that you're with should never make you feel the way that this man makes these women feel. Exactly. Like these intimacies are a place for 100% acceptance, 100% clarity, 100% ease. Yes, even on the first date. And if you're not getting that, like, then bye. Ellen, you, you know where the door yeah, is, Bestie. I know. So horny mom goes into the bathroom and finds the dead body of asshole Alan um, all gooed up in the tub. And right as she sees the body, the fucking freak walks in. Thank God we cut. Like, I didn't want to see that. I know. Um, and then suddenly we see... She was annoying as fuck, but I didn't want to see I know. that. Um, and so then we cut to seeing Jesse feeling the number on the freak's door. 
she opens the door and calls out to him, but nobody answers. So she walks in and she finds, she runs into the freak and asks um, where her mom is because she had been a few hours and hadn't come home yet. So heartbreaking. Um, it's really, it's really, really sad. Freak tells her that he's sure she'll be home soon, and the camera pans and we see her body on the floor behind him. So, horny mom's dead. It's just so fucking dark. Like Jesse knows something is up and hurries and gets the fuck out of there, not before she runs into a suitcase and he grabs her, um, and tells him yep. tells her that he's going to New York or whatever the fuck. Um, but it's just like she's so. And this little girl is such an amazing actress because she's so shaken mm-hmm. and she knows something's wrong. She knows something's happened to her mom. And it's so, it's just, uh, when like her mom is all it's, she has, like. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And it's just like a little side plot. Yeah, like for it's what like just, reason? It's just the thing that, it, and it's not even the thing that gets him caught. That's the side I know. Thing. So cut to the police department. They're all working hard to find Alan and the killer. They get a 911 call from Jessie, who's just so proud of her. Um, So they Mm -hmm. go to the apartment building and break down Freak's door. Um, Sans everything happening here, you said this and you were correct. Um, It's really hot seeing Mulder and Scully whispering to each other in the dark. Still stands. Yeah. Um, Scully comes up to Mulder and tells him that they found the landlady and Alan's body. So they're both dead. Scully question. Oh God, this scene. Okay. So Scully. All right, everyone ready? <laughs> are, you, are you all ready for this? Brace scene? yourselves. So Scully questions Jesse in the hall, and this scene is one of the most memorable ones I think in the whole show, at least for me. I agree. Because um, I remember being so struck by this the first time I watched it, and I never fail to be really moved by the acting from both of them and like just this general interaction. Mm-hmm. Scully is so gentle and sweet with her and is trying so hard to keep it together for this little girl who just lost her mother and who is her everything and it's like this very palpable type of pain that's really familiar to a lot of people especially when the loss um, here is the outcome of extreme male violence and like both of the women in the scene play that with the weight that it needs and it's yep. beautiful they're both too good for the show. Their acting is too good for the show. Oh my god, this yeah. Scene, this scene is perfect. The scene exists on another realm. It's like, oh, this totally. should be this episode. It, it really did, like, it feels like it, it transports you Cause out I, of the show that you're watching. Because I remember this scene a lot, but I didn't remember the episode. Yeah, me either. I remember from the moment that the little girl smells her mother's perfume yeah it's interesting because i didn't even remember that plot point i just remembered it like as as it, it happened as yeah. the actress like like um registered yeah. that that was what was happening to this character mm-hmm. um which is incredible I know. but it is sad though like on a very serious level because based on how her own mother treated her and then how we saw this fucking freak assault her. Plus, we already knew she was bothered by his presence. And Scully showing her this level of compassion and autonomy and honesty is likely the only experience she's had with that in yeah. a while or maybe ever. Like, who knows? And this poor girl is so traumatized. And I just think that, like, it's just... I, I genuinely do believe that that is, like, a very specifically scully trait i don't think that that comes from like being in the fbi and having to 
deliver difficult news to victims or be in the presence of people who are mourning or people who are very recently grief stricken. Mm -hmm. I genuinely believe that like that level of compassion is, is within her. Oh yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. And she plays it so well. So well. It's like, remember when we said last episode that Julian Anderson invented acting? Like it just continues. It continues. So Jesse tells Scully that, like you said, that she smelled her mother's perfume. So she knew something was wrong. This little girl is just phenomenal and she cries and she tells Scully that she was scared he'd hurt her and she could tell that he wanted to and he grabbed her. And Scully is like, like mama bear completely kicks in and she's like, he grabbed you. Mm-hmm. And she was, um, she was already to ready. She was already ready to go to the ends of the earth to get this guy. But now she's like sprinting there. Um, and so Scully is, is so on the verge of sobbing here. The entire thing's really emotional. And Jesse tells Scully that the freak said he was on his way to New York um, and before Scully leaves, Jesse asks her why someone would do this. And Scully has to say, I don't know. And you know that she thought about this little girl for years to come and was really confronted with the notion that while her career and life is dedicated to protecting people from monsters like this, she still doesn't have the answer to why. Mm-hmm. And like, that's frightening. Yeah. And I think like, I think that, I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like that is scully probably really grapples with that i mean i'm not going to say more than Mulder, but i feel like she really she's faced with that question a lot it seems yeah. like Mulder's not really yeah but it's like for her there needs to be a why is it because she's a woman and can't just like be passionate about things there has to be a greater i don't know i don't know it'd be interesting to think about all i know is that Mulder is so fucking lucky that scully is the mother of his child i know that's all I have to say. Literally. So Scully goes back into the apartment. Um, oh, the freak's name is Virgil in Canto. Don't remember that happening. It, yeah. Okay. Um, they have a sketch of they have a sketch of him. <laughs> and Emily told me when she watched this that it looks like Mulder. It does. I know it does. Um, <laughs> so Mulder's like, oh, there's no record of this guy. <laughs> Says he um, works in the FBI. No, that can't be right. It's weird. That's strange. Um, anyways, Mulder says that there's no record of this guy even existing, and so they issue an APB at the airport for him. And Mulder's like, no, I'm smarter than everybody. He's not going to go to New York. And he's fucking right. So they take his computer um, to an analyst to try to recover the deleted files. So cut to Ellen's house. She thinks it's her friend Joanne at the door, but it's not. It's the fucking freak. Um, and she, again, goes against her gut instinct and lets him inside. I was, I wrote that, like, this character's a fucking idiot, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, the, she's so cute. Like, it makes it, me so sad. Like, what's fucked is that it's so unfortunate that people like Ellen, who are so trusting and so desperately want to believe that at, at everyone's core, people are, are good. Mm-hmm. It's sad that this world makes women like her feel like it's sad that one, it's sad that this world makes women like her um, or proves women like her wrong Mm -hmm. time and time again, sometimes to her detriment, of course, in this situation, you know, Mm -hmm. putting her in danger. And two, it's so fucked up that this world makes women like her feel like they have to put themselves in danger or go against their judgment or tolerate manipulation in order to be loved. Yep. 
because they're so unlovable that they have to tolerate things that are bad for them. Exactly. It's so, it's so fucked up on so many different levels. It's such a good way to articulate it. So cut back to the lab. They got into the, they got into the files on his computer and they found a list of all the online names of his victims. So Scully sends the sketch to everybody on that list. Um, so Ellen's pouring the freak coffee and ignoring her phone. Um, she goes to put on a sexy outfit and emails Joanne, the hot goss. Mulder and Scully are trying to get a hold of all the victims. Um, three of the women are already reported as missing, which Scully is incredibly disturbed by. Um, she notes two people she couldn't get a hold of, so they split up and go check on both of them. They split up again. Why? Why? Like, every fucking episode. We know it's never going to end well. So Ellen finishes her diary entry to Joanne, sends it, and then- She finishes she, writing her smut. Yeah. She's like, oh, that was so good. There you go, Joanne. Enjoy. Um, so she gets the scanned picture of his face right as he, as he comes into her room. Um, so Bad they, vibes. Zero oh, out of ten for this episode. Um, they go back and forth, and, like, it's too heartbreaking to chronicle- but, like, yeah. he basically sees the sketch of his face, and so he realizes he has to finish up here. And she's, like, crying and begging him to leave her room and realizing that there's no way for her to go and, like, nothing to do. And it's so fucking terrifying and heartbreaking. And fuck Chris Carter for calling this an old-fashioned X-File. Like, we know violence against women is old-fashioned. We know that fat phobia is old-fashioned. Like, we don't need to be reminded of these things in such a deadly way. He called them fun, too. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. So Mulder and Scully pull up to the apartment. Mulder breaks down the door, which was sexy as fuck. I know it was his body double. I know. Yeah. I, know. I know. I don't care. Like, I, just want, I, just, I don't care. I want the body double to kick me in. Very fair. Just, like, kick me across the room. Consensual. Wait, was... Arlene? Arlene. Arlene was Jillian's, body's, Jillian's body double? Mm-hmm. So she, like, did all of her stunts? Yeah, so she did the fight scene. That was Arlene. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why did I, like, not put two and two together? I just was like, oh, she was just, like, her stand-in. Oh, no. No, she she was, like, her body. Holy shit. Yeah. Jillian was like, she's got a great butt from that same panel. I know. No wonder she has a great butt. She's a stunt artist. I know. So they go through the condo. Everything is dark. We see Ellen's computer broken on the floor with a sketch of his face on it, which is just unsettling as fuck. Um, the window's open and Mulder looks out to see a man sprinting down the street. And then they find Ellen whimpering, slightly gooed under the bed sheets. So Mulder um, goes to chase um, down the person running down the street. He does some parkour out the window. <laughs> um, and Scully stays with Ellen and calls for an ambulance. <laughs> He's like, parkour, jumps over a bench. <laughs> Just imagine him like grunting when he's doing it like <laughs> <laughs> like fucking um what was that game that Fuck. was on the iphone that was like where you ran and like you oh just... um temple run yeah like the noises that they make in that game yeah oh my god wow that's a blast from the past so Mulder um finds who we think is the guy but he steps out of the shadows and of course it is a black kid it's also just some, you know, just happened to be some man randomly running down the street at the yeah. exact same time that they were looking for an escaped uh, murderer. You escaped had, yeah. for a murderer. So, um, cut back to Scully looking through Ellen's medicine cabinet. 
Not she, before she left her gun oh, on the yeah. floor. I was just gonna say she left her gun on the floor, which yeah. she would never fucking do. Um, it's getting a little too heavy for her small, her delicate, lady her hand. delicate little lady hip. <laughs> Can't hold that heavy man gun. Mm. Oh, it's so heavy. She's like talking like women doing porn when a man's dick is so big, but she's talking about her gun. She doesn't want to hold it anymore. The freak pops out from inside the shower and attacks her. She kicks the shit out of him, but um, somehow he gets her on the floor, and as he's trying to suck her face, she gets some scissors and stabs him. But before he comes back and attacks her again, someone shoots him, and we pan up assuming it's going to be Mulder, but it's Ellen. And like, okay, I'm happy she got to do that and got to reclaim her power in some way, but like, just because you had a woman kill one woman kill her attacker in the end doesn't make this a feminist fucking episode. Like, literally, women were just tortured endlessly for forty five minutes, and their worth was diminished so drastically that um, it was defined by body size and body size alone. And then to have a gal after being attacked kill the killer in the end and like dust off your hands and say we did it, Joe, we're feminists. The story didn't comment on anything and it didn't condemn anything. Well, because it leaves these women like floating through time with all of this trauma to deal with again. It's just, it's just like the last, it's just like the last episode. Like, I know you said this, but it's like the, we find out that this man killed dozens of women. Yeah, it was 47. So it's like, there, there is no, there is no silver lining. There is no like, yeah like the lady kills him in the end like no there is no there is no there's no like redemption there's no redemptive ending it doesn't like i know what we've talked about this before quite a bit but it's like i feel like the point of art is to transform things and so you take an idea and then you like transform it and make it mean something or you comment on it you condemn like an an a an accepted thought that you don't think is that you think should be condemned and this doesn't do anything it just presents trauma and says here watch it yeah exactly and i think it's also very telling that um he sexually assaulted the sex worker he sexually assaulted ellen mm -hmm. and now he nearly sexually assaulted scully and that hasn't even been talked about nope like in order for this to work he sexually assaults all of his victims most of these women yeah but that's not even discussed well it just it just goes back to that like it has to be grotesque for men to understand it as trauma yeah it has to be the most extreme it can't be trauma be just because it traumatized you <laughs> i literally it has to fall under it has to fall under something that they deem acceptably traumatizing yeah, so cut to Mulder and Scully questioning the freaking jail a week later. He's all flaky and looks on the verge of death. Wish he would hurry up. Um, <laughs> and then this is when Mulder presents him with a list of 47 women missing in five states. And he says that they're all his. Like He, like, says it. 47. Like, like let's think about that number. And they just I picked can't. that. They just said, yeah, 47 women. He killed, that'd be good. Well, it's because it almost makes you think that, like, the writers were just like, well, these women are worth less because... Like, you're not going to notice a fat woman because, missing. Yeah, they're not conventionally attractive. So, like, to up the stakes, we should, we should, um, we should increase the number on the list. 
So Mulder leaves, and the way Scully, like, looks at him with so much hate and pain in her eyes, like, this is why, like you were saying earlier, women should be the only ones assigned to cases like this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is why that people other than cis men need to be on cases like this, because they're the only people who understand the hate and pain that she's feeling here. And, like, thank fucking God for Jillian performing this with such reverence. What Alan said was which we know was purely rooted in um, sexism, was purely rooted in misogyny because it all stems back to the women can't separate their emotions from their actions. Mm -hmm. And so a woman who, whatever emotion that is, whether it's fear or anger or, um, or whatever, he just assumed that those feelings were going to, overwhelm her ability to perform on the case and to perform with a clear mind Mm -hmm. when in reality she was able to control her emotions enough because she recognizes that that's that's not the only way that you get justice or whatever justice exists is if you keep a clear head yeah and that was stupid but scully scully recognizes that it's like she she's able to she's able to place herself in the scope of what's happening yes exactly unlike somebody else we know exactly and so she's able to recognize that this isn't about her it's not about just because by nature of being a woman it's not about her yeah where it's, it's about justice for the women who were impacted. Where it's like, and somehow Mulder manages to make something that's not even indirectly about him, about him. Exactly. So Scully asks the freak why, like, he did what he did. And he says, this made me so mad. He yeah, this, says, whole, this whole ending is sick. Like, the writing is sick. sick. He says, when you look at me, you see a monster. But I was just feeding hunger. And what I wish Scully would have said was, you're not a monster, you're just a man, but Scully Gibson does not yet exist in this time. And after watching this, um, I felt like I needed to rewatch The Fall. I said, I, I said the exact same thing. Um, so Scully says, you're more than a monster. You didn't just feed on their bodies, you fed on their minds. And then he says... Which, by the way, that only makes him a man. Yes, Exactly. Um, you're more than a monster. You're literally just a man. Um, he says he gave them what they wanted, which made me throw and nearly break my computer because he says that they gave him, he gave, oh my God, he says that he gave them what they needed. And like, hey, writers of the X-Files, you don't need to make a soup. I said this in the beginning. Like, but, like, I'll say it fucking again. Like, you don't need to make a supernatural creature to make a male killer that thinks that they deserve access to women's bodies. And not only deserve it, but need it. Like, Mm -hmm. they exist just as you are, my dudes. The whole, like, here's the thing. The writers are not emotionally mature enough and also not... The writers are not... The writers were not... They were not responsible enough to be talking about an ending where... To, or to write an ending where they're talking about need and what this man did and what the purpose of it like th- they 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 are not at the level of emotional intelligence to yeah be the that language shit. that they're using is just so easily mishandled and and they did just that 
Like, yeah, exactly. It's like even more compounded know. with the very last line because it ends with Scully leaving very reverently. And then the freak saying, the dead are no longer lonely, implying that he saved these women from their loneliness. And that, that, like, that is such a male projection of the value of their own fucking presence in women's lives. Like, I cannot even begin to touch it. But, like, basically the final note is that, um, like, these women being murdered was better than living a lonely life as a fat woman without male attention like that's what they're asserting here i'm really struggling with this because it's so bad that i almost don't want to attribute it to the writers i know like i i'm i'm struggling between like was that the point like was was writing something so heinous the point because they were trying to make this man as absolutely disgusting as possible like no or or like or were like did they actually write that being like no like this this is good that's what i think like i think we were supposed to take that last line and be like oh interesting like yeah like maybe like that he did save them from their loneliness like what yeah i i I, like don't want to believe that (laughs) because it's disturbing it's so disgusting. I, yeah. I don't want to believe that people think that way. I know. Well, it's like people praised this ending. But Scully is just angry because he's traumatized so many women in his in his wake and he doesn't care. I know. And it's nothing more than that. And like mm-hmm. some of the reviews that I was reading, like she isn't disgusted by his need. She doesn't care about him. She doesn't care no. about what he does. She doesn't care about um about what's gonna happen to him from here on out she cares about the women he's left to pick up these now very scattered pieces of their lives yeah and about all of the women that he's killed she asks why he did what he did because the little because jesse asked her the same thing and she tries to get her an answer it's not because she wants to hear him speak. It has nothing to do with him. No, it has nothing to do with him at all. She's just trying to to reckon with how does she go on after this? How does Jesse go on after this? How does Ellen, like, how do these women continue to live after dealing with this? And that's the f- fucking episode. That's the fucking episode. So do you want to do Jillian's corner? Yes. Okay. Can I sing? Mm-hmm. Okay, ready? Yep. <gasps> all we have to offer you today for jillian's corner is um maybe we will post a compilation of like stella gibson jillian's character from the fall being just a amazing badass because i think it's important to cleanse your mind of the um atrocities of this episode because this episode kind of tried or i shouldn't even say that this episode presented ideas that the writers of the fall um jumped on essentially yeah this this episode like failed to make the connection between man and monster or rather the the indistinguishable connection between man and monster that the fall um triumphs in making so yep which is unfortunate because i think that that could have been the episode still would have been horrible but would have been better. So I think we'll supplement it with Jillian getting to 
act out how I'm sure she wished a little part of her wished that she got to act out this episode. Yeah. Well, it's like this episode, exactly what you just said, this episode really fails at what um, the fall succeeds in doing. Um, This episode fails at other things that the fall luckily doesn't include. Um, But there are, there are like, because the notion of, of, exploring a story about a serial killer who preys on women is this isn't the first time a show has done this and it's not the last time a show tried to do this and shows have done it successfully it's just this one was um uh heaping garbage fire while um the fall had a lot of empowering moments if you haven't already watched the fall definitely watch it yes it's on amazon prime i think and i think it's on netflix if you're in the uk it's not if you're in the u.s which is sad but um if you don't follow us on our social media already we're at the sex files pod on instagram twitter and tumblr and that is where we will post our little stella clips as well as everything else we talked about in the episode and our weekly threads and thank you so much for listening yeah thank you we'll see you next week call your mom a milf <laughs> watch the fall we'll see you next time that's it that's it we'll see you next time on the sex files. Bye. Bye.